So I go see him. He's like, yo, I want you to hit him. I was like, all right, I got you. I'm going to do it. I went and got a machine gun. I came up, and then the police wound up seeing me, and now the police is chasing me. But I always said when I see him again, I'm for him. What is up, everyone? I have an exciting episode for you today. Fellow YouTuber Ten Toes Down is here to share his story of how he not only ended up being sentenced to 15 to life in prison for murder, but how he was able to make it through his sentence, change his life, and become a better man. I want to give a big thanks to all those who leave a comment on our YouTube podcast episodes or a review on our episodes on Spotify and Apple. It helps us tremendously get the show out there to more people. Remember, you could stay up to date on all the exciting things we have coming to the Locked In podcast by following me on Instagram at Ian underscore Bick. Now I have to give a big thank you to Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service for sponsoring today's episode and giving our listeners an exclusive discount code. Skip all the meal prep hassle and get Factor's delicious, fresh, never-frozen meals delivered to your door. Head to factormeals.com slash lockedin50 and use code lockedin50 to get 50% off. I've been absolutely living off the jalapeno lime cheddar chicken and the jalapeno popper burger chef's choice meals since signing up for Factor, and I'd highly recommend you give them a shot. Now sit back, relax, and get ready to lock into this exciting episode with 10 Toes Down. 10 Toes, welcome to Locked In, man. Pleasure having you. Shout out to Unique, uh, Unique Mecca Audio for connecting us and, and making this happening, man. That's right. Yeah. Unique official brother. That's my, that's my brother. <laughs> Unique is the man. Uh, he was sitting in that chair a couple weeks ago spitting yeah. the knowledge on me. Yeah, that's right. That's and my brother. Man. Yeah, he was, like, uh, he was like, dude, you got coming today. He's a big guy. <laughs> don't yeah, be yeah. scared. I was like, what do you mean <laughs> don't be scared? He's like, well, yeah. it looks like a bodybuilder. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. you fit the part. And he said to make sure to ask you about the YouTube exposing. So we'll, we'll get to that later oh, yeah. on. <laughs> I like definitely. Um, but yeah, man, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, Always, bro. I hear you have an incredible story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wh- where are you from? Where'd you grow up? I'm from Harlem. I grew up in Harlem. Okay. Yeah. My uh, family's uh, from Dominica. Um, came to America in the 60s. Uh, grandmoms came over here as an immigrant. She snuck over here. Back in them days, um, you was able to uh, like tweak your uh, birth certificate. So on her birth certificate, she had white when she came to America. That's what she used. And and putting white on your birth certificate that helped you get over more when you got to America. My mom basically, um, my mom's is a, a doo-wop singer. She's one of the first doo-wop singers that created the uh, doo-wop sound as far as for females. Um, she's big in the show business. Um, Pops was murdered when I was young. But moms had like that uh, loving but stern um, parenting. Uh, my mom, she, she uh, man, I could go on for days about my mom. My mom's did movies. She did uh, The Irishman, Sopranos. Colors. Oh, she was in The Sopranos? Or she, no, she the did soundtrack. all the soundtracks for all of them. I'm watching that now. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> She did the soundtrack for them joints. And um, she did, uh, what I said, Colors and one more. Oh, Raging Bull with Robert De Niro. 
She did two Robert De Niro movies, uh, Irishman and Raging Bull. Yeah, but um, she um, had a lot of hits as far as um, music. But you know, like with, a, uh, with the music industry, they be uh, raping black people. So my mom, you know, she was young. She started out when she was like 13, 14 singing. And uh, she got robbed. And millions, she got robbed for millions. And people wound up taking her song, taking her music, redoing it, remixing it. And now they got some of her songs as it's a couple of white uh, women that sing her songs and they make it like it's their song. And, and, and that's how I know how crooked the industry is. And, and just, you know, growing up, seeing my moms go through the whole uh, thing with the industry, with uh, different artists and the shit that she's been through. As for me, um, I can't complain. I won't say like I had a fucking crazy, crazy rough childhood growing up. Though I grew up in a rough neighborhood, a rough area, you know, with drugs, guns. But where I'm at in, in Harlem, like just that specific area, it's violence, but it's mostly about, you know, drugs and people getting money. Um, I was first introduced to drugs or, or seeing drugs or the violence at a young age. Um, what else? Were you close with your mom at that time? Hell yeah, yeah. Still close to my mom. Mom's still here. Did you want to ever get into that music field if you were if you were so close with her? Did did you have like a liking to that at all? Well, um you want me to keep it like this? Yeah, you can keep it's it good. like that. Yeah. Oh, all right, cool. <laughs> all right, so yeah, so my mom's um I'll be singing too, but I Do never you sing? took it serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? I could sing. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. Everybody always people ask me to sing. I rap. Mm-hmm. I got rap videos and, and stuff like that. But I never took it serious. I never got into the industry, never took it serious or nothing. Why do you think that was? Uh I don't know. You know what it is with me? When I when I when I set a goal to do something, is there's so many things that I have, like even to today, I have so many different uh options to choose from when it comes to if it's music, if it's like today with the YouTube, if it's dealing with kids, uh got a nonprofit organization. There's so many things that's pulling me in so many different ways, I don't get to complete one task. So coming up, I was so distracted from so different so many different things, you know, because from a young age, like twelve years old, <clears throat> eleven years old, I started boxing. I was into sports, but mostly I was into boxing. So I had people sponsor me. Um I used to box at the same gym with Mitch Green. Um, this before he fought Mike Tyson. Uh, so just me being in the boxing field and, and all the hustlers and everybody in my neighborhood always wanted me to go to school. Like, yo, you ain't going to be out here selling drugs. You ain't getting that. You'll stay inside the boxing. Make sure you're doing your training. I was doing it for a while, but then, you know, in the neighborhood, people like unique getting all this money, you see him coming through, flashy cars, getting all this money. You want that. You know, you want that instant gratification. So you knew him back during that time period? I didn't know him yet. I used to always watch him and see him. You know, you hear the name, unique, and this and that, and and this is before he even opened up his club. So he used to mess with this girl that lived in my block in in the building on the corner. He had a baby with her, and um, I knew her. So she used to tell me about him, her boyfriend, unique, this and that. And then I wound up seeing him one day. He pulled up. I was like, oh, shit, this motherfucker <laughs> getting it. Okay, okay. You know, you got all the different drug dealers in, in Harlem who got all the big names. So when I, when I, uh, 
finally got into selling drugs and, and, and really getting into the game, I never got down with like black organizations or black crews. Though some of the, a lot of the people that was down with me was uh, black, but most of the people I messed with was Dominicans. Now, if we had one of the one of your close friends from that time period here today, how would they describe you? Did you look like the oh, way no. you look now? Are you big, nah, nah. jacked? Nah, what nah, kind nah. of kid were you? Nah, they say you're crazy, motherfucker. That's the, they describe <laughs> me crazy. They're like this crazy. Really? Dead devil. He ain't scared to get into anything. He ain't scared to do nothing. I don't know. I, I, I just, and, and I don't know. No, I don't blame it on my pops because after I lost my pops, I think that's when really pushed me to not give a fuck no more about anything. But before that, I always like a badass young kid. They used to call me badass when I was young. Mm-hmm. That was my name, badass. Where so as I started getting older, you know, when you start to hear them things, you start to live up to that. And then when you start to hear somebody else in the neighborhood that's badder than you, you want to be badder than them. And I started to live up to that. You know, with that comes um, that mentality that we could talk about later yeah. as far as with uh, peer pressures and, and, and names and images. How did your mom feel that you were starting to kind of draft into a different area? Like you went from the boxing kid focused mm-hmm. on what you were doing to hanging out with maybe a wrong crowd. Well, um, you know, moms, moms did what she could, but it takes a lot for a female, for a woman that's um, raising six plus kids by herself. Six of you. Yeah. So my mom's is like six plus. So it's like my mom was like Mother Teresa. Her doors was open for everybody. My mom's got that good old soul, that good old Caribbean soul. And and she took in the homeless. She took in, and I think that's where I get that from today. She took in the homeless. She took in drug addicts. She took anybody. And from a kid growing up, my front door didn't have no lock on it. It's like she was still over there or something. Like, we didn't have a lock. Anybody could come in, you know, and, and through, the, through the blessings of God, nothing never happened to us as kids. You know, no uh, molesters or anything never came into our home. But we always had, uh, uh, or I always seen, like, you know, hustlers and everything in my neighborhood. And though my doors was always open and, and I seen so many different people and met so many people in my life as a young kid, that's how I was able to experience first visually of what life was about, always listening. And, and But my mom, she 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 uh tried. My mom tried and did the best she could. I don't, I don't, Plus, no blame on my mom at all. You know, everything that I did in my life, I did on my own choices, my own bad behaviors, and I made a choice to do everything that I wanted to do. I was cunning. I thought about what I did before I did it. Though I had poor impulse control coming up as a kid, at the same time, I always thought about what I was going to do and how I was going to end it. Do you think that if you grew up in a different neighborhood, like maybe even a different state, your life would would have been ended up differently? I don't, I don't, I don't blame like me. I'm not the type that just blame things on my neighborhood. I think that it's the influence, and I think that if I was raised environment wise, mentally, if I had someone to deter me from the things that I did. Though so I had uncles, I had family members, but I had no one that was older than me. Like I had older brothers and stuff, but nobody was uh, had a firm grip on me because when I did things, I snuck, I snuck out and did certain things. Nobody didn't know what I was doing, but. I believe that if I had someone that was there to keep a tight watch on me, I'd be good. Now, do you think if you saw someone like, say, Unique, who has a platform now that promotes 
not going down the same path he did. If mm-hmm. you saw that at that age, do you think that would have had an effect on you? Yeah, that's. I'll be saying that now. I'll be like, damn, I wish I seen somebody like unique, somebody like me. If I was to meet somebody like me and was able to talk to me, and I, I went through that when I was locked up, when I went to the parole board, and I said, what will I say to that kid from years ago? And I explained to the parole board that I'm afraid of that kid from back then that was coming up at them times. I, I don't. I, I wouldn't even want to meet him when he's at that moment in the black in the dark alley. You know what I'm saying? So, if I believe that if I had somebody like me, somebody like Unique, somebody like these brothers out here that's that's positive on these platforms, I believe that it definitely would have made a, a big difference in my life. Not saying that I would have turned out to be a basketball player or a boxer or all my dreams and goals and hopes would have would have happened because I still would have. Uh, made them choices, but um, I do believe that it would have helped and made a difference in my life. Wait a second, wait a second, everyone. I need to tell you about Factor Meal Kits. After trying their Chef's Choice prepared meals, I was curious about how much they actually cost compared to grocery shopping and eating out. You know what I found? Factor is less expensive than ordering takeout and saves you the hassle of going to the grocery store and cooking. Honestly, my life's been pretty hectic lately. With producing three episodes a week for Locked In and building a production studio business, ordering Factor meals has made my life easier and healthier with their meals that get delivered straight to my door. I always go with the chef's choice option when selecting my meals so I don't get bored with the same meals every week. By choosing chef's choice, they select a mix of their best meals based on your preferences. Now, if you need any more reason to start using Factor today, don't worry, I have you covered. Factor meals just takes two minutes to heat up, giving you the option to have restaurant-quality meals in record timing. And that's not all. Factor doesn't just have lunch and dinner options. They have an assortment of snacks, smoothies, and more. You could discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast, midday bites, and more. So what are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash lockedin50 and use code lockedin50 to get 50% off your order. Thanks again to Factor Meals for sponsoring today's episode. And let's get back into my episode with 10 Toes Down. Yeah, I mean, the concept of lived experience and seeing that, I think it does, I talk about it all the time on the show, it does a lot more than, say, like a teacher telling you, hey, don't do this or don't do that. Yeah. Seeing someone that's been through that. Yeah, hell yeah, definitely. I, I, I also uh, don't, I don't want to say pass blame on, on the system. But the system does play a part in it when it comes to uh, youth and, and, and the prison system. Because the first time I ever got locked up when I was young was for um, a stolen car. I was joyriding. I didn't know it was stolen, and I was riding with my friend in the car. And he was saying it was his uncle car. So the police pulled us over. I'm sitting there. I'm sitting back listening to music. And he get out the car. He talking. Now, my friend at the time, he got a full beard. He's one of the young ones that had a beard. So it was me and another friend in the back. And we just chilling. And we thinking like he getting a license plate. So when he hits his uh, uh, license, when he reach in the car to go in the glove compartment, I'm sitting on the passenger side. He said, yo, run. I'm thinking like, run. Run what? What you mean run? Run where? He like, run. Get the fuck out of here. I said, oh, shit. And then when he get out the car, I see him take I mean, when he get back out the window, he take off. <laughs> 
I jump out the car, I start running, police start chasing us. This is my first real experience with running from the police, getting in trouble. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I'm running behind him. We run inside this building. We go all the way up to the roof. We up on the roof. We looking down. And I'm like, yo, what the fuck we run for? I thought that was your uncle car. He was like, nah, she was stolen. I'm like, stolen? What you doing? How you steal a car? You know, now he started telling me about stealing cars. He started telling me, teaching me about pulleys and chop shops and different things you could do with cars. And I'm young as shit. I'm like, oh, shit. So that experience alone right there with the adrenaline and getting away was one thing. Then there came a time where I ended up getting caught. I go to, through the court system and they give me a, uh, I go through the family court. My mom just had to come and pick me up. It didn't teach me nothing. It didn't help me at all. I got older. I got locked up for drugs. I go in. Uh, uh, didn't teach me nothing. So every slap on the wrist only helped my uh, criminal behavior and criminal mentality to continue to escalate because I kept feeling like I got away. They can't hold me. It's kind of like, you know, John Gotti, the tough on Don. You know, they can't hold me. And you just continue doing crimes and it escalate. The next thing you know, you're selling drugs. You're deep in the game. Um, and with drugs comes violence, and then with violence, you know, it's murder, shootings, assaults, and you get that big number. Did you end up um, finishing high school? No, in, in uh, prison, I did. You finished in So you got your yeah. long prison sentence before even graduating high school? Hell yeah. Wow, so you were getting, well, that first story you just said about getting arrested, how old are you? Uh, about just turning 13, 12, 13, 13 years old. Wow. Getting arrested yeah. for a, a, a carjack. And even though it wasn't your fault, yeah. man, yeah. how did that make you feel like that arrest was, did it, did you feel like a cool kid at all? Like you were a part of something? Well, the, 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 the initial arrest made me feel like, um, like shit, I got caught and made me feel like, um, I tell people a criminal begins to, uh, blame everybody but themselves when they get locked up. So I started blaming everybody but myself. I started blaming my man because he didn't open the door fast enough or blaming this dude. I started blaming the police because, um, well, they locked me up for this, but they saying that I had this inside the car with me. I started blaming everybody but myself. And um, that's what we do. So when, when I got locked up, the adrenaline rush and everything was still there. But once they let me go, I started feeling like, yeah, I beat these motherfuckers. You know, it, it, it was it was nothing. And then when you come home, you start to get that praise. Like, yo, oh, shit, you was in jail? Oh, you went to Spoffit? You know, and the other young kids that's not getting into trouble, the ones that you call uh, 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 lames and all that, they're not getting into trouble. They looking at it, and they glorifying it. They glorifying you for being locked up and being able to get away. You know, you start to stick your chest out more and more. Mm-hmm. And then that, what's the second arrest after that one? That's just for drugs? Yeah, I had drugs. I had uh, pff, everything. And how old are you then? From 13 on up. 13. But every time I would go in, I would get out or I would get bailed out. And then I ended up um, going to the school, um, ATD. They put, the judge put me in an ATD school, alternative to detention. And while in that school, I still was doing shit. I still was getting in trouble and that was supposed to deter you or, or, or change your behaviors or something like that. They, what it was is that when I look back at it now, they didn't really have no like real programs for us to do as far as for the kids that wasn't listening to their parents or, or that was out there in the streets 
doing all these different things. They didn't have nothing for us set up for after school. I mean, they had after school programs, but for us, kids like us, they didn't have nothing set up for us. Everything was either ATD, uh, probation, or something dealing with the court system and put something over your head to try to keep you in order. So I got five years probation for uh, drugs. Um, I had assaults. I had stabbings. I stabbed my friend like 15 times. Stabbed your friend? Yeah. For, for what, a drug deal? Yeah. So I sold some drugs, and uh, he was supposed to pay me. Then I'm seeing him over and over. He keep brushing me off. Now, he he's older than me. He got me probably by like five years. So he was known in the neighborhood for uh, no martial arts. He'd be kicking motherfuckers' ass in karate. <laughs> so this one last time... Um, I got tired of it. I'm like, yo, man. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to use no violence, no guns, nothing against you. You know what I'm saying? I know him. I know him. Both our families know each other. So I go, like, what's up with my money at, man? And he's like, come on, man. Go ahead, little nigga. This and that. I said, so you ain't going to give me my money? So then we start fighting. Now, this day here, I'm fly as shit. I just bought the new uh, bomber jacket. I got my new Tim's on. I'm fly. He done kung fu kicked the shit out of me, ripped my jacket up, feathers is flying all over. Man, this motherfucker was kicking my ass. But remember, I used to box. Now, that's why I always say a, a karate fighter and the, and, and the boxer, <laughs> that's, that's why when I look at UFC, it's like the, the, the styles is totally different. But a motherfucker that knows how to use their feet, their legs, and they can box, and you just a boxer, it's going to be a problem. So uh, he wound up whooping me out. Man, I went right in my house, and uh, at the time I had a 25. I had a 25, and I had a Rambo knife. I said, I ain't going to shoot this motherfucker. And it, and it was broad daylight, so I was like, nah, I ain't going to shoot him. Come outside with the knife, coming back up the block. I see him. He's coming out the store. I'm like, what's up now? He was like, what's up? I just pulled the knife out and just started stabbing him. He started running. I'm chasing him, and I'm stabbing him in his back and his neck. He, I kick his feet. He fall under the car. I start picking up bottles and throwing it under the car. I was just outside going crazy. The people in the neighborhood is screaming and shit. I just blacked the fuck out. The only thing that stopped me, I was stabbing him. And then my cousin grabbed me. I turned around. I stabbed him. They like, yo, he like, yo, you stabbing me. And then I like caught myself. And uh, with that situation, um, this is where I believe that really made me become like a manipulator. Made me really feel like. Um, I can get over. I goes to the hospital with uh, my cousin because I stabbed him in his hand and his arm. I go to the hospital and while we in there, the police come in. By this time, they rushing my boy in. <clears throat> I got blood all over me. So when the police see me, you know, I'm a young kid, the police see me, they like, yo, do you know what happened with this guy over here? I was like, yeah, I know what happened. I was right there. I seen the whole thing. They was like, what happened? I said, yo, this big guy came, and he was stabbing him, and then he ran down here, and me and my cousin was over here. We tried to stop him. He stabbed my cousin, and police was like, yeah. They took me to the precinct. They was like, yo, you could pick out some pictures in here. I was like, yeah, I'm going to try to find out who he is. Right there in my mind, I said, oh, okay. This how I could beat these motherfuckers. Once I got away with that and I was able to give them a description of somebody, and it was, it was me that did it. You know what I'm saying? That I think that's what helped boost me too, made me start to feel like, okay, I'm untouchable. Where do you think all that anger came from? Uh, that's a lot of rage. Yeah, yeah, I had a lot of anger because of my father, definitely. 
So do you think if you stayed in boxing, that would have helped you kind of alleviate That's what that? was helping me. The boxing was helping me. It helped me relieve a lot of frustration, a lot of anger and pain and rage. I used to beat that bag and, and, and punch until my fucking hands was bleeding, literally. Mm-hmm. My hands and my knuckles was bleeding. I used to punch the bag so hard and go at it so long, I used to cry. My trainer used to come. My trainer was named Frank Bowman, man. Shout out to Frank Bowman. I don't know if he's still alive today, but Frank Bowman was my trainer. Um, Emil Griffith. Um, they 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 tried to keep me on the right path. You know what I'm saying? They they they, they always told me, "Yo, you're gonna be a champion. You're a good fighter." I remember the first time I went and, and met up with them to box at Knight's Gym, and they was like, "Um, why you want to fight for?" I said, "Cause I want to fuck motherfuckers up." They said, right, "Good. Yeah, we need you." If you would have said you fighting to get some money, we wouldn't even took you. Because if you're fighting for the money, then you don't have that rage. You don't have that fight instinct. You don't have that in you. And that's what they told me at the time, right? So here I am. Um, I'm boxing, and, and, and I lose my dad. And my dad was in and out my life, me and my brothers, my sisters. But, you know. A kid love their father. They love that image. They want to be like their father, try to walk like their father, look like him. I remember when my father used to comb my hair and to, to hear that day, and I could see it like clear as day, when they told me what happened, I mean, I cursed. I cursed him hard. I was like, yo, for years I hated my father, though, because I always felt like he left me. You know? I cursed him. I, I, I hated my father. So I I, 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 I I wanted to take it out on everybody else. You know what I'm saying? I want anybody else to feel my pain. What happened to the guy you stabbed? Why didn't he report you? Nah, he was a street dude. That was my man. He was a street dude. So he, yeah. you still looked at him as a friend even though you had to stab him up? No, so after that happened, right? <laughs> look, that's the, look, at, look at the crazy mentality though, man. After uh, that happened, I go home. Um, a couple days later, I get in an argument with his niece because I'm trying to talk to his other niece. And so she walks up and like, don't talk to him. This motherfucker stabbed our uncle. So I'm like, shut the fuck up, bitch. She comes, she start arguing with me. I'm like, I smacked the shit out of you. She's like, I go get my uncle. I'm like, I stabbed that nigga already. Go get him. <laughs> she had an other uncle that was older. I didn't know, though. And he just came from jail. This was a big motherfucker. So I'm on the corner. I'm looking. And at the time, I had my gun on me. I was like, oh, I'm shooting this motherfucker. I said, I'm going to shoot him dead in his motherfucking head. And I'm with the same cousin that I stabbed. I'm standing there. And he come in. And as he's coming closer, he's like, oh, so you the little nigga that stabbed my brother. And I pulled the gun out. I was like, yeah, nigga, and I'm going to shoot you. And my boy grabbed my arm. I'm like, nah, fuck it. I'll kill this nigga right here. This is in daytime again. And the dude is looking at me like, is this motherfucker serious? Like, what the fuck is wrong with this little motherfucker? He's crazy. And and I just I, I guess I just lived up to that image, man, of just being violent and 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 people saying this motherfucker crazy. And and that kept people off of you. People didn't want to fuck with you. But then later on down the line, people started using you for that. Yeah. Did you feel like you had to do a lot of stuff for the principal, like street principal? <laughs> nah, nah. Growing up, I always took things personal. At the same time, after I lost my pops, I don't know where that came from. Like, even today, I can't find it that I didn't care about living. Were you riding in, like, a gang or you were you riding solo? No, nah, it wasn't no gangs, man. 
I mean, they had gangs. Mm. They had like the uh, G Force. They had the Apple Dumpling Gang. They had Apple Zoo. Dumpling. Yeah, the Apple <laughs> Dumpling <laughs> Gang. What kind of gang name is that? Yeah, they had all kind of gang. They had the Ill Boys. Oh man, what yeah. year is it? What time period is this? Oh, uh, this is the early eighties. Early eighties. Okay. Yeah. Are you and Unique like the same age? Nah, you got me beat. Don't put me with that old ass man. <laughs> <laughs> nah, he looks good. He looks good. Yeah, for nah, his you age. look good for his age. He look good. Damn, yeah, hell yeah. That's uh, that's so wild that he was in that like era, like that you looked up to a guy, um, like unique. It's interesting yeah. how like paths cross and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And definitely. then who would have thought? Now you'd be you know friends all these years later. Oh, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So what leads up to ultimately getting sentenced to a lengthy prison sentence? Well, uh, you know, like I said, um, with uh, the system and with uh, getting away and just with crime, things start escalating and you start getting them into more trouble, into worse crimes. Uh, what led up to that is uh, I got down with a crew, though they call it a gang, but it was just a couple of guys from the neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? So I had a friend, Dominican brother. Uh, well, I remember when he first came from DR. You know, back in the day, they used to wear their uh, pants, high waters, no socks on. Um, they was like straight up, not matching in colors. and, and But they always came up here with that dream that they're going to be the biggest drug dealer in the world. And that's what my man did. He came up here, boom. He wound up leaving. He was hustling somewhere else. Then when he came back to the block, he was in the bins. I was like, oh, shit, where the fuck you get money at? He was like, yo, I got over here, this and that and that. Then he started opening spots around the way. Everybody got down. And then next thing you know, we all hustling on the block. But we, we wasn't hustling on the block like hand-to-hand pitching. We had different spots. How much money are you guys making? <clears throat> Out the whole crew, a week? I don't know. I can't even put no number to it. I say they were moving about... 10 bricks a week of cocaine 10 keys of cocaine a week and what is Definitely. that how much are you paying for a key at that period back the then it was selling the key back then for 30 40 a key 30 40,000 yeah back that, then that, that's what you were buying wholesale no 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 oh. wholesale um you could get 10 10,000 depending on where he I don't know where uh flock was getting it from mm-hmm. and how he was paying for it I don't know I wasn't even part of that whole conversation or I was just dead when the coke came in the building, when it came in the house. Crazy shit is that we're talking about this now, and I was just on the phone with my, my one of my brothers. Not my real brother, but yeah. brother of mine that was, uh, he was locked up. You know, in, in my neighborhood, when, when you know you start getting money, when dudes just coming home from jail, you look out for them. You take them shopping, you buy them stuff. So my boy, he came home, and uh, I was on the phone. I'm like, yo, man, man, when you first came home before, he was like, yeah, man, you looked out for me, man. You took care of me. He said, oh, y'all was getting money, man. I was <laughs> like, yo, these motherfuckers doing it. He wound up robbing us. He robbed you? He robbed us. I said, yo, what the fuck did, made you rob us? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Not like physically in our face. So what it was is that when customers would come, you would take them upstairs, depending on how much they want. And we had like a little system where, let's say if you came and you wanted to buy a key, I would take you upstairs. I would do the deal. I would come down first. If I don't come down first, that means you robbed me. So the dudes outside know to get you. So this day, I go do it. I got the customer. When I'm leaving, my boy is coming in. I say, yo, boom. He's like, I got to use the bathroom. I say, here, I give him the key. So I got to hurry up downstairs before the customer get down there. So I rush downstairs. I go outside. Boom. I'm like, yo, we good. 
Customer come out. I'm not thinking about my boy still upstairs. I'm outside. Another customer come. Go to take him upstairs. I'm like, oh, shit, where the key at? I'm like, oh, shit, I gave B the key. Can't find him. I'm looking for him. I'm like, oh, shit. So I had to call my other boy to come and open the door. When we get in there, there's no guns in there. Because we had guns and everything there. There's no guns in there. There's no coke. There's nothing. I'm like, and, and everything is right there in plain sight. I'm like, what the fuck? Bro, we're at the, the whole trap house. He robbed the whole joint left. So I go back downstairs. I'm like, who? I'm not thinking him, no. Nobody's thinking him. I see this crackhead. I'm like, yo, come here for me. I said, yo, you see anybody go inside here? I'm like, nah, you give me a gram, I tell you. I'm like, all right, I got you. It's like, that was your man B. He did it. He came down. He had a garbage bag. And I was like, oh, shit. So when I hit my man Flock, I'm like, hey, yo, B, we just got robbed, man. He was like, yo, by who? So now the whole crew, everybody knows that. This is my boy. We all cool, but this is my boy that came home. And I'm like, yo, nah, he good. Put him down. He good, you know what I'm saying? You know, the first thing they say, oh, man, he did it, so you got to hell that, bro. Like, yo, you got to kill him. And I was so mad and upset. I'm like, all right, come on, let's go. Let's go find this motherfucker. We going around looking for him. I'm like, I'm killing this motherfucker, man, but we could never find him. And it was like a couple of weeks later, I'm in the Bronx, I'm driving and he's going the other way. And he just he just told me now the other day. He was like, yo, remember that time when you was looking for me? And he said, yo, when you drove by me in the Bronx and I went past, he said, I thought you knew where I was at. He said, you was right where I was at. He said, oh, shit, this motherfucker found me. I got to get up out of here. I was like, where? I said, nah, I was up there going shopping. I didn't know. I said, I just happened to see you. But yeah, man, but but that's how serious it was back then. So and, and he never got hurt or anything? Nah, he wasn't going back to jail again. Oh, wow. so you guys and forgave then, him? You put it to bed after all these years? Yeah, no, so look, he goes to jail. Mm -hmm. He does, I uh, think, three years, two to three years. He had like a two to four or something. He go to jail. He comes back home. I see him. He like, yo, you know what happened a couple of years ago, this and that. You know, I'm just coming home, man. I'm fucked up. I'm like, man, I'm not putting you down, man. Nah, man, I'm not doing it no more. That's it. Go mess with somebody else. Man. I'm not fucking with you, B. He like, yo, man. I started to put him down. I wanted to help him. You know what I'm saying? And I guess that's where that helping streak come from. Me growing up, just even, that's how the uh, 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 indirect positive peer pressure plays a role. Me seeing my mom's help people and all that, she didn't never tell me, make sure you help people when you get older. Just me seeing her do that, I guess I took on that characteristics of her. And just when seeing dudes come home and with him, I really wanted to help him and lend a helping hand. And then next thing you know, Long story short, man, I'm beating him in the head with my fucking gun. He like, yo, yeah, you hit me in the head with the gun. What I used to do, like, like with certain people, if I got beef, I hit you in the head with the gun and pull the trigger at the same time. You think you shot. He was like, ah, you shot me. I'm dead. I said, nigga, get up. You talking. You ain't dead. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, I wound up thinking he robbed me again. But he didn't. It wasn't him. And you're just a teenager, so what are you, yeah. like 15, 16? How old are the guys you're running with that, that are bringing? They're older. Everybody's older than me. So you're the youngest yeah, of this Yeah, just me girl. and my cousin. We're the youngest one. He's a year older than me. But the rest of them, everybody's older than me. Dude, it's- 23, 24. It's so crazy hearing yours and unique story and because I watch Power and Raising Canaan. Yeah. And it's it's literally like they're basing that off of the lives you guys were living yeah. during that time period. Yep. What about like corrupt cops at all? Were you guys working with them? Hell yeah, definitely. A thousand percent. 
The and Dirty 30. Like the Dirty Detectives and whatnot? The Dirty 30 was the name of them. Th- that was the name? That's the precinct one block away. And and how would that work? Like, well, how do you guys recruit them? What's that like? No, they coming to you. You ain't got to worry about recruiting them. They going to push up on you. It's like extortion, basically? Or? Well, it could be, some people, it could be extortion. Some people who, if you got a strong crew and they fuck with you, you're just going to have to pay them. And they protect you from other cops? Yeah, they let you know when... Buses is going to happen. They let you hustle. When customers is coming, they don't say nothing. Or they could just fuck up your whole set and just sit right there. You ain't going to get nothing done. You know what I'm saying? So to keep them clear, to keep shit going, you pay them. That's why when Unique tell his story about what the police pulled him over, took all the money, and people be like, nah. No, that's how it was back then, for real. That's how it was. Did they have a line, though? They wouldn't let you cross like that. Were they letting you guys commit murders, anything like that? You could do anything. Listen, let me tell you what happened with them. The police shot the police in the precinct. Their own officers? Their own officer and covered it up. He shot his own officer. And said what? And covered it up. They covered that shit up. And still to this day, it was never... No, 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 no. It was brought out. But it happened. Wow. It happened. So the relationship between the community and the cops couldn't have been great at that that time period, like with the neighborhoods? No, because um, as far as my neighborhood... Uh, all the older people in, in, in that was in my neighborhood, they wasn't in the crime. They were they were community based people. They used to give bus rides, um, block parties. We used to have a thing called the Jazzmobile. You ever heard of Jazzmobile? No, what's a Jazzmobile? <laughs> they had a Jazzmobile back in the days, right? Um, like a eighteen uh, wheeler truck, but just a flatbed without the. Uh, outer piece on it so just a flatbed 18 wheeler truck would go to different neighborhoods close down all the blocks and a whole band would come out and play on top of the truck oh that's awesome and all the people come out in the neighborhood bring their chairs out in the summertime every summer it was the jazz one they come out they play jazz people sing blues and all kind of shit but growing up me seeing it I didn't appreciate it I didn't understand I'm like fucking jazz mobile they locking down a block we can't do nothing I wish they had the Jazzmobile now today, Rapmobile or something, where they come through and they help people and they teach you about music and stuff like that. Yeah, they need more, like, community-based stuff. Yeah. My dad's a uh, caterer, and he did, like, a whole block party for 50 Cent years ago. I think it was down the Bronx or something like that. Yeah, 50 Cent did, like, a huge, like, neighborhood, 5,000 people. Like, we need more stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Getting people involved, the community and whatnot. Hell yeah. Definitely. Times have definitely changed uh, a lot since then. Yeah, times definitely changed. Now it's hard to even get a hello from someone in an apartment building. I'll walk in and sometimes people are just, they don't even say hello. Yeah. (laughs) They just like stare at you. They won't open a door, nothing. Yeah, definitely. Got to bring back kindness. Yeah, back then we used to help the old lady. We see an old lady walking down the street struggling with a bag. I walk right up to her and help her. It wasn't like I'm trying to get something from her or some change. It was just, that's how it was. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So... Uh, we, we we had that community, we had that mindset and, and community, but at the same time, you know, you had that other side where you stuck between both places. So, what, what was the year that, or how old were you when you caught the big boy charge? When you when you really got into trouble? The real trouble? Yeah, the I real mean, trouble. I say the real trouble is when I stabbed my boy. That was the, but that was you the, got arrested for that? No, no, no. Okay, I never got in trouble for that. Um, so, what actually put you into jail? Jail. Uh, I had a murder, but before that, I had a, uh, another case out of town. 
I got locked up in Indiana first. Indiana? Yeah. Were you doing in Indiana? I was hustling in Indiana. <laughs> How do you go from New York to Indiana? Well, I used to hustle in Baltimore. I was in D.C. And then I used to go upstate, came up to Connecticut, right here. <laughs> <laughs> Word. And uh, we wound up going to Indiana. Because in Indiana, like, the drugs that we were selling for $10 over here was going for 50 out there. Once I heard that, I'm like, oh, I got to get the fuck up out of here. So my oldest brother friend had came home from prison. Now, mind you, most of my family, they in the service, army, dad was in the army, brothers, sisters, all of them was in the army. It wasn't until all the street shit. Though some of them were, but with this one particular friend, uh, Big Butch, he had just came home from jail and uh, took him shopping, got him jackets and all that like I be doing for people. And um, he wound up, I ain't seen him for a minute. Then when I seen him again, the jacket that I got him, it was it was like a butter soft leather. The shit was like flaring out. It was mad big on him. I'm like, what the fuck happened? What the hell you what happened to your jacket? He was like, Oh, you wanna see? You really wanna see? He opened up his jacket. He just had mad money in there. I'm like, what the fuck is you doing? He like, yo, I'm in Indiana. I said, same way you said it, Indiana. Like back then it's like, where the fuck is that at? I only know Indiana from the Michael Jackson song. I'm going back to Indiana. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like? like, yo, we getting money out here. Yo, you got to go out here. You got. So I was like, all right, cool. Over and over, they're like, yo, come on, what's up? You gonna come to Indiana? Yo, you can give us some coke because I'm still hustling. So like, yo, just give me the coke, front me the coke, and we take it to Indiana. I was like, now nah, fuck that, I'm going. I wound up carrying it myself on a plane. That was my first time ever, like getting on a plane and going. First time getting on a plane, I'm bringing a kilo of cocaine, and I got it all on me. I walked through the airport. I could still see that day. Butch is all the way over. He's staying away from me. He know like this little young motherfucker. Got all these drugs. I'm on a plane. Now I'm riding on a plane. Now I'm starting to think everybody's a federal agent. I'm like, oh shit, they're going to be waiting for me when that plane land. We get to Indiana. We go to the house. We start bottling up everything. Then we go to this little club called the Elks Club. I started selling coke in there. Seeing what people, I was like, oh shit, yo, you from New York? You got the coke, boom. I was only there for a couple days, but when I first got there, I get on the phone, and I'm calling back to my brother, telling him, like, yo, it's really real. There's money out here, man. Yo, boom, boom. This one night, yo, we made over 5000 Yo, it's money. I said, yo, when I get back, it's on. We really going to turn up out here. They got that whole conversation on the phone when they locked me up out there. So when they take me in, um, they take me and my co-defendants in. The main thing they ask him, because they know we're younger, but they don't know how old we are, my other code friends. They're like, yo, which which one is Butch? So we all like, we ain't going to say nothing. Because, you know, coming up, like, my story, like, the older dudes in the neighborhood always taught us, man, you never snitch, you never say nothing, you don't, you don't never tell. Like, I don't know nobody named fucking Butch. They played a recording. They're like, yo, who's this right here? And they got me on there. Yo, I'm telling you, it's mad money out here. Yo, we coming out here when I get back. I'm bringing more coke out here. Yeah, man, Butch, this and that. They said, that's you talking. And you said the name Butch. Who's Butch? I'm like, I don't know who the fuck that is. Boom, they locked me up. They put me in where Mike Tyson was locked up in Marion. They put me in Marion, but it was a, a youthful defender's place. He like, was there during that time? No, 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 no. Mike Tyson wasn't there yet. I, re- I see it. No, now they built it. But when I went there, it was just a farm and a building. 
So that's where they had me at. So I'm in there. I'm like, God damn. I end up going to court. And over there, they court system is totally different than over here. I'm thinking like, ROR, I'm just going to get right out. Nope. I went up in there. I'm sitting down. To the right of me is a guy. To the left, he stands up. He starts telling his credentials and this and that. Then he sit down. Then he tell, they tell me which one you want. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't know none of them. They're like, well, you got to get a lawyer, this and that, which one you want from legal aid. So I'm like, man, I don't know nothing. So now it came down to how old are you? So I was just a teenager. I said, okay, so then your mother has to come down. You got to go through the family court. And I was like, my mother? I said, my mother ain't coming down here. They was like, well, we're going to give you a phone call to call your mother. I called my mom. She was like, What's up? I ain't even want to tell her where I was at. I was like, I'm in Indiana. She was like, yeah. She was like, I'm not coming down there. What the hell I look like going over in Indiana? She was like, they ain't going to get no bail. I'm like, nah, I'm too young. So when coming back from court, I see Butch, but he's in the adult pen. When he see me, he was like, hey, yo, why the fuck is you over there? You got to come over here. Tell him you older. Tell him you 19. I was like, oh, all right, cool. He said, if you tell him you're 19, you'll get a bail. And then you bail the fuck out. Told him I, I went back to the uh, Gufa Center. I was like, yo, I got to tell the truth. He was like, what? I said, I'm, I'm, not, yeah, I said, I'm 19 years old. He was like, you 19? I said, I'm 19. He was like, yeah, okay, boom, they took me. And now they're saying they got to fingerprint me because now I'm 19. At the, the age I was, they were saying they can't fingerprint you. So they fingerprint me, and they put me in the dope prison. Then they gave me a bell. And there's no verification, nothing? There's nah, no back not then, nah, Wow. Nothing. They fucking fingerprinted me, took me and put me in the dope, dope prison. I go back to court, and then they gave me a bell. They gave me and my co-defendant. They gave us all bells. And you booked it out. We all bailed out, but Butch couldn't bail out because uh, uh, when they ran his shit, his shit came up from all this New York shit, and he's on parole. But with us, we didn't have shit. You know what I'm saying? No so, records. Butch didn't, he, so Butch ended up doing um, 23, 24 years. For on that drug case. Yeah. So, because you know that's Commonwealth out there. Mm-hmm. So they make laws as they go along. Why were why was he even on a wiretap? Were the feds looking at him? No, they the uh, sheriffs was looking at him B- before him. They was looking at the people before that. Okay. And then when he got there, they was looking at him. And then when he brought us, they was looking at all of us. And he unknowingly brought you guys out there. Yeah, he didn't okay. know that motherfuckers was watching. So them. how much time do you get after that for for that drug dealer? You run out of there. Oh, no, I got up out of there. <laughs> you fleed. Yeah, yeah, I broke out. <laughs> and that case wound up going. All of us, me and all my co defendants, that shit Booked went it back out, to New York. They just really wanted Butch. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So Butch did his time. Butch still now. That's my boy. He come up, he come visit from Indiana. So they just dropped the case against you guys? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So you, yeah. they dropped the case and then you left Indiana? Yep. Go back to New York. Come back to New York. And you're like, 16, so the plan right? was um, come back to New York because. The other guy who Butch was cool with, his partner, he was supposed to did something for Butch. Butch was like, all right, I'm going to be here. I'm going to deal with it. But this motherfucker's playing games. He says, so I'm going to need you to go back. I want you to kill him. I'm like, serious? He was like, yeah, kill that motherfucker, man. Like, all right. So when I get back, I'm going to kill this nigga. He says this to you over the phone or in person? No, 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 in person. I went okay. to visit Butch. Okay. I went to see him. So I go see him. He's like, yo, I want you to hit him. I was like, all right, I got you. I'm going to do it. You know what I'm saying? Because so I, I looked up to Bush. That was my older brother, best friend. That was my bro. So I get back, and uh, I end up seeing another guy. And we talking, and, and um, I never got to see this guy. I end up 
shooting another guy because this guy was trying to shoot me. And he was shooting at me. I got away. I came back. I went and got a machine gun. I came up and then the police wound up seeing me and now the police is chasing me. But I always said when I see him again, I'm killing him. So now I got two people in my mind like I'm killing both of these motherfuckers. So uh, one thing led to another. Um, I wound up seeing him. And uh, I wound up shooting him. And I did the same thing I did before. I went to the precinct this time. And I said, I seen who did it. I was there. You just volunteered yourself to go in there? Went right in the precinct. Dude, that's, that's ballsy. Because I wanted to see... What they had on What you? they had, if they had a description, witnesses, seen anything. So I went in the precinct, I'm sitting in there and shit. They're like, yeah. And gave them a description, got in a pre- police car, went around. But they wound up coming and got my dumb ass the next day after that. Do you think they wouldn't have gotten you if you never went in? Nah, they would have they gotten me because my cold friend had started telling anyway. Okay, so the guy that yeah. um, that uh, set you up on that? Or yeah. that, that told you to murder him? No, 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 oh. that's Butch. Nah, he ain't tell. Okay. I had a different cold friend on this that one. That was a part of it. Yeah, so he wound, and the thing about with him, you know, he wound up telling, and he didn't even have to tell because he was getting the same time either way. And the guy died that you shot? Yeah. How'd that make you feel? At that time? Yeah. Um, at that time, I don't know. I guess I was numb at the time. It took it took a couple of years for me to gain some type of uh, empathy and sympathy to make me start feeling something for human life. Though, like, I, t- I try to teach kids, and I learned today, not today, but years ago, that uh, how, was, how was I able to do that? You know, how was I able to just take people's property? How was I able to steal cars? How was I able to sell drugs to people, raw people? Uh, stab people and eventually killing somebody or killing people, period. And that came from uh, I had no self-love. I had no care and concern for authority, human life. Um, I didn't care about consequences. I wanted instant uh, gratification. Um, I had poor impulse control. I suffered all the peer pressures that we all suffer from, uh, the positive, the negative, the direct and indirect peer pressures. Uh, lived on an image, and uh, I blamed everybody but myself. So when I began to uh, read different books about uh, criminal thinking and criminal behavior, I, I, I was able to identify with those books. I was like, damn, that's me, man. And it, and it spoke about the escalation of crimes and how criminal thinking and behaviors began. It can start with a bag of potato chips in the store. Just a little kid stealing the bag of potato chips and the parents seeing him be like, oh, look at him. He just walked out with the bag and there's nothing. So now the little kid goes back again and he take the potato chips and there's nothing. It's an innocent, harmful crime. But it begins to escalate because it plays a part on your mentality and and, uh, your choices. And that's what happened with me. So. When I first started doing crime and, and, and getting into things, people began to praise it. Um, I began to try to live up to it, and I began to dehumanize people. So if I'm able to dehumanize you, if I see you as a vic, if I see you as a crackhead, if I see you as a lame or a sucker, I don't see you as a human being. I'm able to dehumanize you. I'm able to do whatever to you after that, outside of rape. I'm talking about violently, assaults. I'm able to sell you drugs. I'm able to not care if I was to hurt you. Um, 
what the consequences is or what happens to you. And that's what happened with me when it came to me uh, committing my crime. Um, I dehumanized people. Of course, yeah, he shot at me. But once he shot at me, he became my killer's nigga. So he became nothing but a nigga to me. He became nothing but a, 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 a op, so they say today. So that's what, what it is in, in our community today where we need to uh, challenge our criminal thinking and criminal behaviors. And that's why I say with the prison system, the prison system is failing because it doesn't help challenge your criminal thinking and criminal behavior. A lot of us go to prison and we got to do the self-help on ourselves and, and, and teach ourselves to become better uh, uh, productive uh, members of society opposed to becoming better criminals as as a lot of us do when we go to prison and we get out and we go right back again, no matter how many years you serve. And that's because we didn't deal with the criminal thinking, the criminal behaviors, and, and uh, the criminal mind. So a lot of guys can go to prison, come home, and still talk like they still in prison. And the reason for that is because they didn't do the work. They didn't work on themselves. Yeah, and, I mean, you're, you're thrown into an environment where... <laughs> There's always some guy that did what you did uh-huh. better and got yeah. less time. Mm-hmm. Something I big I saw in the feds was bank robberies. Mm-hmm. There would be the guys that were doing 10 to 15 years for an armed robbery, and then there would be the white guys, these older gentlemen that would come in or the, some of the Irish guys that said, yeah, I'm here for a bank robbery, double the money, half the amount of time, all because I passed a note. Mm-hmm. So then that guy listens to that, gets out after the 10 years, goes and robs it with a, with a note, and mm-hmm. now he's doing life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that that it's that type of thinking. One thing about prison and society, it's it's two things I always say. I say that uh, your um, best day in prison can amount to your worst day in the streets. So no matter how hard or how bad I got it, that shit can't amount to the best days that I'm having while I'm in jail. And and the thing about murder or violence or crime, when you go to prison. When you're in the street, um, you the killer. You the tough guy. But when you go to prison, every other guy that walked past you was the killer, is the tough guy. So now you're no longer the tough guy. You're no longer the only killer. You in a fucking uh, 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 a den with killers and tough guys. So now, not only are you subject to continuing your criminal behavior while you're inside, unless... You work on yourself and stay away and, and, and be a sucker or whatever they want to call it. Um, you're going to have to continue that same image that you held upheld when you was out there. So it came a point in my life where it was no longer about image or, or what happened because I got a kid. I got a son. So when I was gone, I began to uh, reflect on me losing my father and how I hated him and cursed him and how that shit brought the rage out of me and made me. I mean, I'm just giving you just a glimpse of the stories of the stupid and ugly shit that I did in my life. So I can imagine what my son went through with me not being there for 21 years of his, of his life. You know, so so that's why when I did finally come home and I seen him and I walked up to him, you know, he was crying and, and you know, we cried and hugged. And he was like, damn, I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to be a son. I'm like, what you mean you don't know how to be a son? He's like, I don't know how to be a son. Like, I'm like, well, being a son is just being a son. It, the thing is going to have to come to me being a father. 
And one thing I'm not going to do is try to play catch up or, or try to tell you what to do or be this stern, you know, um, foot down father, 21 years old. I wasn't there. And I can't make up for the lost times because there's a lot of things that happened in your life that I wasn't there for. And the thing that hurt me the most, two things that hurt me the most when I was gone, where I said never again. One time was when my son was on the phone and they wound up, um, um, ACS came and took my son because he went to Dominican Republic. And, you know, in DR, I don't know if you've ever been in DR. Mm -hmm. In Dominican Republic, them fucking mosquitoes out there is like bats. When them shits bite you, they kill you. Like, And he, he had mad mosquito bites on him. But ACS said it was abuse. So they wound up taking him. And they put him somewhere. I don't know where the fuck he was at. So I wound up going to family court. And in the family court, they were saying that you got to give visitation. You need you could give visitation for your son. So I used to call his counselor or whatever. But I used to call his place, and he was saying, he was crying. He was like, Daddy, I want you to come and save me. I want you to come and get me. Where you going to come? Yo, bro, I remember I was in fucking Auburn at the time. Yo, I, I just had my hood on, and I just was on that fucking phone, squeezing the shit out that phone. Fucking tears is coming down. I'm like, motherfucker, I couldn't fucking save my son, man. And then it came another time where I'm in a gang, I'm gang banging, you know what I'm saying? And that that time right there made me go through an emotional part that I couldn't help or save my child. But then it came another time where my son came on a visit and I took a picture with him. And you know, back then was the Polaroid pictures and it takes time to develop. And when the picture finally developed, he was like this in the picture. First, I'm thinking that's Spider-Man. I said, what's that? Is Spider-Man? He said, no, I'm a Latin king. I said, what? What you mean you're a Latin king? He's like, I'm a Latin king. And he said, amor de rey. I said, amor de what? You ain't no f Yo, bro, that was it, man. That was my last straw. So then at the time, I'm over here chastising him and telling him about gang. You ain't being a gang and I'm in a gang. And I went back. I said, that's it. I went and told him. I said, I'm done. He's like, what you mean you done? I'm done. He was like, yo, bro, you know, you can't leave unless they open the brooks. You retire. If you drop your flag, you can call it drop my flag, retire, whatever the fuck. It's my life. That's it. I'm done. I'm not doing it no more. I'm done. Whatever y'all want to do. I don't care. This is while you're in prison, you joined this gang. Yeah. Why did you decide to join a gang in prison? That's what everybody used to ask me. Like, yeah, like, how do you go you from- hold your yeah. own and you ain't joining a fucking gang. Yeah, the whole time you're solo and you decide to join a gang. So what happened was- um. We started a gang first called MBK, my brother's keeper. And then after that, it was an offset gang called uh, COB, combination of both. Then all these gangs started happening. And then um, you had another gang, then the Latin Kings. And then we used to go to war with the Latin Kings and different people. And then the Bloods. And then next thing you know, uh, I don't know. I guess it was just a image thing. Guess you know the hand signs and you know everybody. But at the same time, we stuck together. But it just came under blood. Now, mind you, let's go back a bit. When I was in Indiana, it was gangs over there. It was Bloods. It was YGB, right? So they was like, "Yo, you gonna be YGB?" That was Young Gangster Blood. And I was like. I don't know about no gang this and that. So I had this young brother 
that was from L.A. He was locked up over here with, in Indiana with me. And he used to tell me about the gangs and this and that. And he was like, yo, come on, bro. You got to come in, man. I'm like, nah, man. I don't know nothing about no gang. But at that time over there, in that little youth, food, uh, the, uh, youth center, it wasn't that many of us. And, and and we didn't have no oppositions. It was nobody to fight against. It was just us young boys and then together. So I was cool with that. But over here, it's a totally different ball game. You know what I'm saying? You're going against other gangs and real gangs and shit like that. So I just took on that same persona. I just took on that same thing from over there and just moved on forward with this. But when I was over here, all my friends always told me like, yo, what the fuck are you doing in a gang? You? For what? You don't need no fucking gang. And I always knew it. I don't need no fucking gang, you know. But then my manipulation side kicks in like, all right, we could lock the jail down. I could get them. We could start selling drugs. We could hustle. We could take over the jail. And But that was my thing, right? When I was blood, I used to always tell them, I'd be like, yo, these motherfuckers fear us. They scared. Motherfuckers is crazy. Motherfucker cut. At this time, this one cutting was just popping off all over. And I was like, yo, we need to lock down whoever's bringing the drugs in. But at the same time, all the dudes that was blood at the time or in the gang, you know, everybody smoked. I didn't smoke weed. Everybody smoked weed. Everybody was into their own little thing. But I always, always was always on, yo, let's take this shit over. Let's control the whole jail. Let's control the population. But nobody else seen my vision. You know what I'm saying? But when the blood first came out, over here, I believe that in, in, in what the name and what, and what it stood for, it's still for brotherhood. It's still for brotherly love. It's still for overriding oppression. It's still for uh, us not being oppressed. Because at the time, black people were being oppressed. Though they used to call me a zebra, they like, motherfucker, you a zebra. You speak Spanish, Dominican, and all this. I'm like, fuck that shit. I'm black. We all black. You know, but the language thing separated us. So they're like, yo, bro. I, I mean, I'm always like, um, we got to come together. We got to... Uh, 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 Unite as black people, period. But you know, with Latinos and blacks, it's always going to be that separation because the language barrier. But uh, like I was saying, that day there when it came to my son, I said that was it. I was done with that, man. I was done with everything, not just gangs. I was done with getting in trouble. I was done with going to the box. I was done with all of that shit. How far into your prison sentence was that? Did that happen? <laughs> Well, the first time when I told you about with my son when um when he was in a little uh whatever uh, place that ACS took him, that was in 1996, 97. So that's like five or six years into it, and then that one there was uh almost like two thousand. But even though I said I'm done with all this other shit, I'm still getting in the shit because I'm in jail. You know what I'm saying? There's certain things you just can't avoid. You know, then, then it came a time where I'm going to the parole board. They keep hitting me with two years. They not let me go because I had 15 to life. I ended up doing 21 years. So I did six extra years over my sentence. What does 15 to life mean to, to the average person? Because we hear like 25 to life. Uh -huh. So does that mean like you're 100% doing life in prison if you're getting 15 to life? Or what well, is that? In New York City, because different states is different. You know, you could have... 20 to life, 25 to life with parole or 25 life without parole. In New York, if you got, ain't no with or without, they usually just give you 25 to life. After 25 years served, you're going to go to a parole board 
and that parole board is going to ask you questions about your crime, about what you did since you've been locked in, and they're going to want to know your whole story from the beginning to the end. The majority of people in prison don't want to look at the ugliness of their crime and the things that they did. So when they start talking about their criminal behavior and the things that they did in the past, they they uh, minimize, right? But they make it a big picture on the good that they did. I went to college. I finished. I got my GD. I got this trade. I did this and that, that and that. All right, tell us about the crime. Yeah, you know it was me and my man. We uh we did a robbery and uh I, I um I stabbed the dude and you know that was it. But that that wasn't it. And the parole board hit you because you really don't understand why you did your crime, how you was able to do that crime, and your criminal behavior and thinking. So every time I went to the parole board, they used to always ask me the same question. Why you had a gun? Like, why you had a gun in the first place? Tell us, like, where that began? How did you pick up a gun? Because you wasn't born with a gun. So my thing was, I had a gun for protection. Yeah, you had a gun for protection? So your mother had a gun too? Nah, she had no gun. Your brother had a gun? Nah. So you was raised by your mother. She didn't have no gun, but you had it. But you had it for protection, but she didn't need it. But y'all in the same neighborhood. We're going to ask you again, why you had that gun? Now I'm stuck. I'm like, I had the gun because uh, uh, um, I was, I was going to, um, I had it because I didn't have nothing else to say, right? They bust me in the head. Not just for that, but they gave me, they gave me two more years and the, the reason is your release right now is uh, incompatible with society. It would deprecate the seriousness of the crime. So releasing you right now with all these other big fucking fancy words they use. I go back to the parole board again. I get a reversal on that, my parole hearing. I go back again. Same thing. They keep asking me about the fucking gun. Like, I, I tell them about my life, but then we get stuck at that gun. And then um, my last parole board... I wind up going, but this is after me working on myself, learning about my uh, poor impulse control, working on all these different criminal thinking behaviors. I wound up teaching myself every day. I used to teach myself different new words and how to speak better. Then I was in the program. I was in a self-help program that helped you learn about your criminal thinking, criminal behavior. It taught you about healing, houses of healing, how to get over the loss of my dad, everything. This time when I went in, they said, okay, we want to ask you a question. Why were you able to carry a gun? And I said, I had a gun because I wanted to shoot somebody, because I wanted to kill somebody, because I had a wish a nigga would attitude. I wish a nigga would step on my feet. I wish a nigga would bump me. I wish a nigga would do something so I could take this gun out and shoot him. And was like, oh, okay. So how you was able to kill somebody? I said, because I dehumanized people. Because I had poor impulse control. But when I started breaking everything down, and now they see that I fully understand my criminal thinking, my criminal behavior, and how I was able to do that. And then he went into why you won't do it again. And then I asked it as a question, but I gave a statement in reference to uh, uh, consequences it's not going to stop me from committing crime. I'm not going to commit crimes because it's morally wrong and I have more values and I have integrity today 
and because I've changed my way of thinking and this and that, and I began to break that down on why I'm not going to commit crime again. That day when I went to parole board, I knew I was going home because they said, all right, so when we let you go, and then the lady said, no, if we let him go, what do you mean let him go? But he slipped up and said it. That's when I said, oh, I got this shit. So when I went back, you get your decision like um, in two days. The computers was down. I ain't get my decision in two weeks. So I'm over there waiting. I want to see the fucking paper to say you're going to be released. And I'm on a, oh, man, I'm going through it. I'm stressed out. Now, mind you, right? I'm in a program where I'm a counselor. I'm teaching classes, teaching about criminal thinking, criminal behavior. Uh, but, you know, you're still getting in the situations. So I get in a situation with a guy where, like, you know, it's just like, come in the bathroom, I'll beat the shit out of you. We don't need no knives and I'll fuck you up with my hands. He don't want to come in there. He's scared to death. He don't want to fight. He found out I made that parole board. Yo, he stepped right to me. I'm sitting out there talking this and that and that. He was like, oh, so you made parole board. Yeah, you gonna go out in the streets and do this and that, you bitch ass nigga. I'm like, what? He's like, man, come in the bathroom. You like what I said? I was like, I'm not going in that bathroom. I'm going home in two weeks. The fuck out of here. So now here comes the peer pressure. And now people looking like, oh, shit, yo, Big Shaft. You know, they call me Shaft and Jelly. Like, yo, Big Shaft, yo, what's up, yo? Yo, you heard that nigga called him out? He ain't going to the bathroom. I don't give a fuck. I'm not going in there. I've been in here 21 years. I look like going in there and losing my date, losing my freedom all over again. I probably would have still been in there today. Yeah, guys, that's a thing that people hear about, that guys, when they find out someone's going home after a long sentence, or even the guys with short ones, they try to fuck it up for yeah, you. Why yeah, do you think yeah. that is? Is it a jealousy thing? It's a or? jealousy thing. It's a uh, They don't want to see nobody else do good. They want everybody to soak in their misery. Yeah, my, my last few days of going, before I went home, I'm checking under my pillow for phones, making sure no one's planted <laughs> shit on me. Because yeah. people, I've seen that happen. They'll throw a phone on you to jerk off to, to whatever to, uh -huh. to get you, to prevent you from going home. Yep. Plant shit on you. That's when all the notes start getting passed on you. That's a fact. Yeah, I, hell yeah. That's yeah. when the notes start getting passed. Yo, he got this, he got that. Now they bring up shit from your past from before, like knowing I'm going home. I ain't into none of that shit. And and I did exceptionally well. I did, I did very well. I did excellent on my last couple of years when I was locked up. Mm -hmm. When I came out, they gave me a certificate of relief of disability. I don't know if you know what that is, but no, what's that? you don't get that for the crime that I had, right? Like you don't get that coming from prison. You got to come home. You got to be home five years. You got to put a certificate of relief of disability where it bars everything from people discriminating against you because of your crime. And this is a federal thing, and it, and it, and it keeps you able to get jobs. Though they can deny you, but they not when they see you have this. And you can get certain jobs. You can get all kind of things. It's kind of like having a pardon, mm -hmm. but it's not. But I ended up coming out with that. How old were you when you got out? Um, Shit, how fucking old I was. It was just about the, the next day. When I got out, the next day was my birthday. So you must have been mid-30s about probably, right? No. Oh. So already in my forties already. Already in your forties, so you went to yeah. prison about in your twenties, then, right? In my Early teens. 20s. Teens. So that, that, but you do twenty-one years on, and you're nineteen. You, mm -hmm. You're almost, yeah. You're probably forty, turning forty mm -hmm. at that point. Forty. Wow. Yeah. That you missed the the prime years. Hell yeah, man. How does that make you feel year. looking that back? That made me on feel it? fucked up. Yeah. It made me feel fucked up the years that I missed, but the way I fix it and what brings me joy. And makes me relive my whole life again is that I got a son 
that's eight years old now. And from the day that he was born until he's eight years old, it ain't been a day that I haven't been by his side. It ain't been a day that I experienced and lived through him and with him from everything that I lost in my childhood as far as with no dad, that I wouldn't dare leave my son out here and and, and not let him get to see the beauty of having a father and, and, and not even knowing about my past. I don't want him to know about that until he get older and, and, and understands and where I can sit down and talk to him. But as of now, just having a son and my even my granddaughter, and I got a grandson too. I got two granddaughters and a grandson. <laughs> but with my grandson and with my granddaughter, when I take them out, just seeing them, taking them to the park, trampolines and jumping and flipping, I see me, bro. Yo, that shit is crazy. Like, that shit build up so much emotion in me. I'll be like, yo, this is crazy. This is what I always wanted. That's why my son is so spoiled, my granddaughter. I give them anything. Like, growing up, like, video games or certain things that I couldn't get when I was a kid. <sighs> my son would never. And at the same time, I'm, I'm how you say, yo, if you think if you had somebody that was older, like unique or somebody to teach you, I am that person when it comes to my children, when it comes to my grandkid. You know, I teach them, I tell them everything, any question. He's very inquisitive. He asked me all kind of shit. He asked me all kind of questions about anything. He just was asking me the other day. <laughs> he showed me a picture of Jesus. You know, the white Jesus. He said, Daddy, is this Jesus? No, that's not Jesus. <laughs> I said, take a look at the book and what the book say what Jesus looked like. Want to read the book? Yeah. And I read the book, and it says what he looked like. Skin of bronze. He has wool. Look, his hair's wooly. You got, like, dready hair. And he was like, so then what color is Jesus? What color did that book just say he was? He said bronze. Okay, let's look at the color bronze. What's bronze? And then I break it down to him. I said, so then what color fits his description? Black. He said, so then why they have that picture? I said, well, you eight years old right now. You got a long time to learn about that, but just this little bit that I just gave you is enough. But if he needs to want more, learn more, I'll give him more. But I'm not going to uh, give my son a religion, teach him religion. I'm not going to do none of that. Because when I grew up, though, I, I, I just slid by that. Moms was Jehovah's Witness. Father was 5% of God body. So my mom's into Jehovah into the church, and, and my father is saying he's God. So, so when I get older, I'm into everything. I was into Christianity, uh, uh, Rastafari, um, 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 Santeria, every single religion. When I ended up going to college, I ended up I ended up taking up uh, theology, the study of God, and and I really wanted to learn about different religions and where I was spiritually, and then I needed to learn who I was. And a lot of us as, as as young kids when we go to prison, we 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 get our identity from in there, never knowing our true identity. We start believing that's who we are. And then you come home with that mentality thinking you're a real nigga. You thinking you gangster. You thinking I held it down. No, you didn't. You ain't holding nothing down. That's why on YouTube I tell dudes, you been in prison before? You gangster? Yeah, you pussy. Who pussy? What you mean I'm pussy? You pussy. You know why you a punk and you fronting and you ain't gangster? Because when you went behind them walls, 
That man had you stripping naked, looking at your asshole, looking at your balls. You ain't say nothing. And you did it. And if he said he didn't like the way you did it, you would turn around again and bend over and squat. That's a fact. So you ain't that tough. Where the gangster at when did John Gotti, one of the most gangsterous mobsters out there, strip naked for a man. Then some people say, well, you know, that's part of the game. <laughs> no, that's not part of the game. Where that was at? Who said that was part of the game? Stripping naked for another man. That's not part of the game. You know what it is? It's just what you said it is. It's a game. And you're going to continue playing it. So you're going to continue being part of the game while everybody else prosper off of that. Because just like a video game, somebody in there playing it, making the moves for you. And that's just what they're doing with you right now. And that's why when it comes to this YouTube thing, I'm about accountability. I hold people accountable. And I'm always pointing my finger at people. And I tell them, I'm pointing one finger at you. But three is pointing back at me. So hold me three times accountable to what I'm saying to you. So if you ever see me doing something slipping, chastise me and hold me accountable on what I do. Because that's going to keep me firm. That's going to keep my ten toes down to the feet, to the ground. That's why I'm ten toes down. I've been ten toes down. I haven't wobbled. I haven't fell. I haven't did anything. You know why? It ain't just because of me. It's because of brothers like Unique Mega Audio. It's because of different brothers out there who who help hold me down, who who keep me firm. I got my brother Bimmy. My brother Bimmy showed me a whole nother side. Look, you know Bimmy, right? Mm -hmm. So Bimmy is Waka Flocka uncle. Oh, really? That's yeah. your friend? Yeah, yeah, that's my bro. So you know, you Waka? need Bimmy up here. You know Waka. Flocka? I know Waka. Dude, yeah, you gotta help get Waka on the show, bro. Well, you should have. Well, then I'm here. Well, I could get him, dude. That would be awesome. He's he's been on. Um, he's been doing a lot of podcasts lately. Yeah, didn't he just get? He just got out of jail. Who Waka? Oh, yeah. Waka. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't or know. Or some someone uh, or uh, Fetty Wap, I think, just got out of jail. Right? Fetty. I don't know, but I know Fetty Wap went in. I don't know if he in. got back out. Okay, but I know Waka has been doing a lot. He was on um, a couple girls' podcasts that I yep. follow. He's yeah. been doing his podcast tour, and um, I, I think I booked him years ago or mm -hmm. did a show because I used to be in the concert business. Oh, okay. So I used to work with like Tyga, Big Sean, all those guys. Uh, dude, if we get Waka on the show, that would. Oh help. yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get into. Um, I'm gonna hook you up with Bimmy. Yeah, well, I have Bimmy on the show because Bimmy, Bimmy's the one. Uh, he was part of Def Jam. He the one that made the goat. You heard the goat. The goat. The name, the goat. Yeah, I've heard the name. The goat. He created that. Really? For LL Cool J. Really? Yeah, he did LL Cool J song. He did Cool J rap. And this is your he boy? He with Tom Matola. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's my bring right him here, man. man. Come down sometime. If he, was here, if he was here in New York now, I would have brought him with me. He would have came. He would have definitely came up here to love He loved this shit. <laughs> he loved the lights and all that. Yeah, it's fun, dude. It's a nice little uh, professional setting, you know? Yeah, hell this, yeah. This whole podcasting world is crazy. You could literally just sit and kick it with someone and talk and learn. And, yeah. and it's funny and fun because of the way I am. Like, I'm this, yeah, like, yeah. this white, dirty yeah, 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 <laughs> hell kid, yeah, yeah, you know? Well, Definitely, but it's good. What have been like some of the challenges um, integrating back into society? With nothing, nothing, really. Never. Even with charges, because I've talked to guys nothing. with murder charges, and they, you know, there's things like housing, uh, banned from Tinder, uh, things like that. No banned from Tinder. Yeah, how you get banned from Tinder? So Tinder, actually, in their bylaws, they have something about you can't be a felon on it. Um, oh yeah? yeah. So if they find out, they could kick you off. Oh, I ain't know about that shit. I never heard of that. Well, I ain't know about that. But look, when I first came home, right, I went for a job working uh, at this maintenance. A friend of mine sent me there. And when I went, 
they gave me everything. They gave me the clothes. So when you go upstairs, boom. And then they called me back. They was like, yo, corporate called down and we can't do it. You can't do what? They're like, nah, the hiring. I said, but you hired me already. Like, nah, but you know your record, this and that. And the guy started telling me, he's like, yo, my brother's locked up for murder too. He said, but that's going to be a challenge for him when he come home because I can't even give him a job because they looking at that shit now. Yo, I was riding home on that fucking bus and I'm sitting there and and I thought it was a fly on my face. I'm like, what the fuck, fucking fly? Yo, it was a fucking tear. Huh. I was like, oh, shit. I didn't even know. I said, Never again, never again will this ever happen to me. From that day forward, I was like, yo, I've been working since then. I worked, name the job, outside of the police department. I did every <laughs> fucking job but in the world. you're bro. actually going into prisons now, though, yeah, too, Yeah, right? definitely, man. I got a nonprofit organization called Umbrella Impact. Go to the prison, just got approved. Uh, the mayor just became part of my panel. She's uh, working hand in hand. The mayor of Connecticut. Which mayor? In and, uh, and, uh, West Haven. I didn't even meet her yet. My sister just told me this. She says, yo, the mayor's on the panel now. I said, what? She said, yeah. I'm working with uh, Kenny Green. I don't know if you can't know Kenny Green. You mm-hmm. heard of Kenny Green? Mm-mm. Kenny Green, is uh, his wife is the CEO of, of Paramount. Mm. And uh, they big. And uh, me and Kenny Green. So like I was saying with me and Bimmy, right? Um, one thing about Bimmy, like when it comes to my podcast... I could have got anybody on my podcast through Bimmy. Bimmy knows everybody. He helped fucking, uh, he's like an influence to 50 Cent. That's his man. Everybody, every rapper, everybody look up to Bim, right? Mm-hmm. I could have been using Bim. Yo, I need this dude on my podcast. This and that. I never did that. And Bimmy appreciate that side of me where I never asked him for a penny, nothing. He a millionaire. I don't ask him for shit. But what he did do is he put me in places and positions where I can just network we just were at a was at a spot in uh, Stanford, multi-millionaires. And that's where I met Kenny at. And we was just kicking it. Yo, boom. He just introduced me. Yo, this boom, boom, boom. He had to spin off and then let me handle the conversation. And we start conversating. Brother was like, yo, man, I love your story. I'm going to support you. I got you 1,000%. Like, yeah. He was like, yeah. He said, I'm going to get you in the meetings. I'm going to get you the million-dollar deals. Don't worry about it. I got you. And he's been by my side ever since then. Kenny Green. He's been working with me. But Bimmy has put me in mad different situations where I was able to see that this little uh, shit that we praise as far as the communities we come from and looking up to drug dealers and glorifying all those other shit means nothing. It's billions being spent and exchanged in hands. And these people that you look at, they're not the dudes with all the fly shit on and all the jewelry. That's why you don't see me with all the jewelry. I don't try to get all the big cars no more. When I first came, I got it out of my system. I had the Mercedes. I had the Audis. I had the BMs. I had the Jaguars. I had all them cars. Now, I got a good old pickup truck. (laughs) Grown man time. (laughs) And I don't, and this is just regular. This ain't fly to me. I just dress regular. I don't care. But the scarf's looking pretty fly. Yeah, the scarf, you know. <laughs> but I'm regular degular. I'm going to wear regular clothes. I'm not buying expensive shit. I'm looking for the best deal I could get. I'm going to make sure my account is fat. My bank, my uh, safe is full. And I'm going to make sure that I got something to leave behind for my children, bro. Mm-hmm. Because it's not about uh, 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 living for today no more. And that's how these dudes do. 
And that's what I thought. I was living for today, never thinking about the future. I wish I could go back and change a whole lot in my life. And that would be not only the criminal aspect of it, the educational side and making a way for myself, knowing that, like right now, right? Um, I set up for my kids, so, and, other, and, and I tell people on my channel, if you die today, who gonna bury you? And after they bury you, because you know after every funeral, after you gone, you gone. They go, they eat, they play music, and they having the next conversation about something else. You done. But what do you have to leave behind? My dad left that song, Papa Was a Roller Stone. All he left, wherever he went, his house was the home or whatever. All he left behind, you know how that song go? When he died, all he left us was alone. And that's all he left. He left us alone. I don't want to be that parent that leave. I don't want to be that guy in a community that was known as a killer, a tough guy, a gangster. I don't want to be known as that. I don't want that image. Fuck that image. That shit got us nowhere. I don't want that. I like the lames. I like. I wish I was the geek in school. I wish I was the guy who wasn't getting all the girls. I wish the, I was the guy that didn't have a fly car and no jury. If I was that guy, do you know what I would be today? Opposed to the person I am today, where when the police pull me over, the first thing they ask me, yo, tell me, what happened with that? What happened with what? The fuck you talking about? The traffic light I ran through? No, what happened with the case? The fuck you talking about with the case? I did the time for it already. But, like, how was the time? Police always ask me that. Mm. Like, I'm not fucking talking about that, man. Get, yo, write me my ticket if you're going to write me one. Yo, I swear to God. This one highway patrol dude pulled me over one time. He said I didn't have on a seatbelt and I was speeding. I was speeding, but I had on my seatbelt. He pulled me over. He came up. He said, yo, you were speeding. You didn't have on your seatbelt. I said, man, I got on. He said, no, no, no. What happened with that? I said, well, what? He said, what happened with the case? I said, the case is over with already. I did my time, bro. He like, tell me about the case. I said, I'm not telling you shit. Write the fucking ticket. He said, I won't write you nothing. He said, I'm going to write you up for that seatbelt. Speeding, and I could add some other shit. But what happened with it? You killed them? I said, you know what? Yeah, I killed them. I like killing people. It's this time I just like feel like killing people at any time. I just go off and start killing. I don't know when I'm gonna kill again. <laughs> Yo, he bust out laughing. He looking, he like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, why would you even try to push me to make me go through that, bro? Yeah. He like, here, take your ID, man. Drive safe, man. I thought, I'm like, yo, bro, this is fucking sick. But things like that that happened to me, people were like, nah, that could, yes, that happened to me, bro. Like, just That's knowing that I'm the guy in the neighborhood, where I live at now, I'm the guy in the neighborhood, I'm the only one <laughs> some crazy shit. If something happened over there, the police are going to knock on my door. I mean, that's why people are fascinated with the Netflix docs about crime and shit and true crime and stuff because they, they love that, you know? Yeah, yeah. They want to hear about it. And yeah, they want to so hear about it. You yeah. can hear about it. But one thing they don't want, they don't want to be in that shit. They don't want to be a part of it. They want to hear it. They want to see it. And, and that's why when it comes to me and this YouTube guys and me and accountability, they hate me on the YouTube. You know why they hate me so much? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, what do you do on your YouTube? Why they hate you? Well, like I said, accountability. And um, when it comes when it comes to me and other YouTubers, man, don't don't come out here 
from prison or just being out here in society teaching prison is cool teaching that crime is cool going to jail don't teach that because when you start teaching that and you start glorifying it that shit don't sit right with me so then I call you on what you're saying and what you think you're doing I call you on it I'll be like yeah you was locked up you tough you gangster you pussy and you say this on YouTube on yeah. the video <laughs> you pussy you ain't there. and we'd be beefing going back and forth and I'm like I had enough talking let's meet up and I fuck you up I beat the shit out of you. I'd rather die for something out of day than die for nothing. Back then, I was fighting the wrong cause. Today, I believe in these children. I believe in society can become better. My community of society, in reference to the people who commit crimes and continue to go back and forth, I think that we just need uh, 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 somebody or people to help start creating something much better for us when we come home from prison. In which I do. When guys come home from prison, I put them in programs that give you, for anybody out there, if you come home from prison in the New York area, I could put you in a program where you get $500 a month for one whole year, and you're going to get a job making over $25 an hour. Guaranteed. And that's what I do for guys that come home from prison. I know it's not a lot. But it's something that's going to help you. You're not going to be discriminated against when you come home from prison. You ain't got to worry about if you're going to get a job. You ain't got to worry about if you're going to have some income. You know for sure every goddamn month that 500 going to be there added with whatever you're working on, whatever you're doing at your job. So when it comes to these YouTubers and they be, I ain't even going to say their name. Everybody on YouTube know who I beef with and go with and I know they wish I would say their name. But all the so-called big tough guy YouTubers, None of them step up. They're a bunch of punks. And my thing is this. I don't claim to be the toughest guy out here. My thing is, I want to meet up with you and let's have a conversation. Let's build. Because what you're teaching is wrong and that is only going to lead people to continue doing the same criminal behavior things that you was doing in the past. And it's going to lead them to prison. So let's sit down and have a conversation. And I usually hit people in the back. And, and they DMs and all that. Before I even come at them on YouTube, I hit them up. Yo, bro, yo, what you preaching right now, man? That's not good. This and that. I try to break it down. They always, man, fuck you think you talking to. The... Okay, I'm about, I'm about to get on your ass. <laughs> and I make a video. Next thing you know, we going back and forth. And it ain't been a YouTuber out there. They call it the dirty section. It ain't really been like YouTubers that I haven't went back and forth with. Has anyone met up with you or no? They're all too chicken. Only people that ever met up with me was China Mac. Um, shit. Oh, the king of New Jersey. That's it. And and these people didn't meet up. I went to meet up with them. Because I had no, I said, I come to your neighborhood. I come to where you live at. I had incidents where dudes was like, what, you pull up right now? And I pull up. And I come over there with a bunch of guys. And they're like, oh, you he, he, look at him. He came here with a bunch of fucking dudes, and he's supposed to be about change and this and that. No, motherfucker. I'm coming to your neighborhood, one of the worst neighborhoods. I'm supposed to come by myself. I'm going to bring the crew with me, but I'm not coming out here for violence. If it turn to that, the crew going to handle that, but that's not what we're here for. We're here to have a conversation, me and you. <laughs> I want to have a conversation for you could get a look at this other side to where what I'm doing and how this shit is going to work. And usually when I meet up with people, it changes their whole perspective. They like, oh shit, bro. Yo, yo, boom, you really about that? This and that and that. Like it's another brother out there, my man OG Blue. Slot out to OG Blue. OG Blue, I thought he was against me. 
And I thought he was with all the other dudes. But he really was on my side, really working with me. But behind the scenes, he was telling them, like, no, I really like that guy. Like, I fuck with him. But I'm trying to hype him up for he could, like, you know, really trying to bring something up out of me. And now me and him is like this. We mad tight. You know what I'm saying? So everybody that I met up with, all that we just spoke on the phone and got cool, we extra cool. We created a bond. And that's what I try to do. But you like like when Unique, Unique ain't with none of that shit. He not in that field. He not in that sector. He stays at his life. Yeah. yeah he's but sometimes people say something about him. Yeah. I got to go at their ass. Okay. What you said about Unique? Oh, he fronting? Okay. Now I'm going to be his voice. You punk ass motherfucker. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm glad I got some extra security now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you're going you're gonna to get that. You know, it's always going to be people that's not going to agree with you. And not everybody's going to like you. Yeah. But, and not everybody's going to respect you, especially when it's on the fucking TV. <laughs> Who going to respect you on the TV? Like, you don't have to respect me, but I know deep down inside, you understand me and where I'm coming from. You know that I really mean good because I really send out that positive energy. I might get crazy and talk crazy and all that, mix it with a little comedy, but at the same time, at the end, I always say, yo, brother, I don't want another spirit looking over my bedside because I still got nightmares because of what I did. It's still those ugly, dirty, not ugly, dirty spirits. It's still those spirits that stand at my bedside saying, look what you did to me. Look where you put me at. And you still living, waking up every morning, being happy with your kids. What about them? What about the families? What about those that I hurt? What about the lives that I touched, the lives that I took? Nobody want to remember that. Nobody want to look at that. So when you get these YouTubers that come up here, y'all was locked up for a murder. Y'all got a body. No, you didn't. You ain't got no I call them all out. You ain't got no body. You ain't got no murder. Shut up, pussy. You ain't killed nobody. Because those that did do that, fucking spirits is haunting you, bro. Them spirits haunt you, man. For real. How do you make peace with your with yourself over the past? You never. You, I don't think you can ever make peace with that, bro. I don't think I'll ever make peace with that. You know why? Because once you gain empathy and sympathy and you start having care and concern for human life and you start having values and morals and integrity, that shit haunts you, man. That shit haunts me. No matter how much I smile and joke and people see me cool, yo, ten toes down, this and that, you don't know, bruh. At night, I'll still wake up running. That fucking spirit on my back. And guess what? When that one chases me, I run into another one. And it's only certain people that can understand what I'm talking about when it comes to them spirits. You start getting anxiety attacks. You start feeling like you can't breathe. In your sleep, you can't sleep good. You only sleep about four or five hours at night. When I was locked up, I didn't sleep good. I slept a couple hours at night. You start visualizing, seeing things. Shit, I'm not going to talk about on the camera things that you did in your life to people. You're like, damn, I was an ugly, dirty motherfucker, bro. And I can finally say that about myself today. And that's why I said I wouldn't have wanted to run into a dark alley with myself. Not saying tough guy and all this other shit. That was just the ugly side of what I became and what I chose to be. But I'm no longer that today. And that's why I try to teach that to these brothers today. Even though they're grown men. Because a lot of us grew up without our fathers. A lot of grew up without our parents like myself. And I understand you don't like another man telling you what to do. But my thing is, you sat in prison for the last 10 years. You sat for five. You sat for three. You let another man tell you when to get up, eat shit, spit, piss, strip naked. You went through all of that. But another man tell you what to do. Here I am. 
your fellow brother telling you, yo, bro, it's a better way. We don't need to do that. Let's not glorify that and send people back there. Send these youth in there. Let's do it like this. Let's work together. Nah, Brian, with all that, I eat shit and piss, bitch. I beat the shit out of you. That's where it turns to. Because I refuse to let another mother be crying in the courtroom wondering why this happened to her son, an innocent soul. Everybody's innocent. Nobody should be murdered or killed, ran down on, robbed, or, or, or taken advantage of. Nobody. I remember I asked the parole board one time before. I said, how much time is enough time for murder? Like, what do you mean by that? That's my question to you guys. That's all I want to know. How much time is enough time for murder? Because y'all keep hitting me with more time every time I come in here. How much time is enough time? They told me you were f- for me to figure it out. And you know what I said? After, after going to figuring it out, I figured it out. My father was murdered. How much time is enough time for the person that killed my father? No time is enough time. As I got older, I wanted to kill him or them. And I would have felt much better killing him or them, but it still wouldn't have changed the fact that my dad is not here, right? When it comes to doing time, time doesn't change behavior. Behavior changes from within. You're going to have to change the behavior yourself. You could do a thousand years and the behavior still doesn't change. You have to change from within. You have to start seeing things differently. You have to start seeing human beings as human beings. I wouldn't dare assault you or disrespect you or push you to a point where we have to fight and go back and forth with one another to where I'm going to kill you. Hell no. That shit ain't worth that. The only thing worth with murder is me trying to fucking defend my family. Somebody's trying to hurt my family, my children, my mom or something. I'm going to defend them to the death. But when it comes to this YouTube shit or street shit, dudes be talking to me YouTube talking about killing me. <laughs> they be on there threatening me like, when I see you, nigga, I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to shoot you in your fucking face. I'm like, God damn. I got you that mad and upset to where you want to shoot me in the face? Get him worked up. <laughs> damn. Is that serious, bro? They want to shoot me in the face. Yeah, you pussy, you big for nothing. I say, okay, don't talk no more. Let's meet up. I guarantee you Your language is going to change You ain't going to speak That language no more The English language Is going to be gone Ted and Toes This has been such An incredible conversation man um, Really thank you For coming on the show And, and connecting and, and you know Thanks again to Unique And I'm so happy To hear about all the good You're trying to do In the world And using your, your past I ain't to, trying to no more I'm doing that shit yeah, man we'll It's happening it. Good man I'm glad and, and keep doing it man Keep doing your thing and, Definitely uh, bro you know, you, you got our support here at Locked In. Definitely, man. We locked in for real. Locked In is the channel to watch. Is the be- Yo, listen. <laughs> I'm going to get Benny up here. We're going to get Waka up here. We're going to get... Listen, he need the support, bro. Yeah, he need we, the support. We need Waka, man. I yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, need Waka that. up here, man. This is, this is a comfortable setting. This is the place to be. <laughs> we got a lot of good back. snacks and stuff, too. Hell yeah. <laughs> and uh, we'll put your links to everything you got going on in the bio. Plug you in real good. Plug you in on the intro when I record that. And, uh, yeah. yeah, very appreciative of you coming on the show, bro. Definitely appreciate you for having me, man. And don't don't let Eon trick y'all. He not 5'2". <laughs> this motherfucker 6'5". This big one. I got to start yeah. recording people's reactions when they come in and see, see yeah, my I size. Yeah, I see you. I'll say, what the fuck? <laughs> 
you some little short vigilizer, some little short guy. <laughs> a little short pip squeep. <laughs> oh, thank you, bro. Safe travels back to wherever you're heading off to. Definitely, bro. Right, West Haven, you know, Connecticut in the building, man.